Join me in Luke chapter 22 as we're going to continue our study of the gospel of Luke. And I am preparing my elements for communion later. Some of you know why. Some of you in my generation might need to do the same, not looking at anybody specifically. We left Jesus and his disciples last week sharing the Passover meal together. Was that good? Come on. It was good to go back, and thank you, Pastor Matt, for taking us through that Passover meal and the, and the cups and, the, and all the, the elements there that they're all, they, were, they were always there, right, pointing the Passover participants to Jesus, right? They were always there, but it's Jesus that takes that Passover meal given to the people of Israel and helps his disciples understand that it's going to become a celebration of Jesus Christ and his provision of salvation for us. And you all went to sleep. Not a single amen. amen. Don't leave me up here all by myself when it's time to say amen. We left Jesus and his disciples celebrating that Passover meal. And as you take a step back and you, you look at the four Gospels, you realize that there's so much happening in that moment. And it's the Gospel of John that really unpacks most of it. If you look at chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, remember the prayer, the prayer for unity? Remember the, the revelation that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach you all things? Remember the washing of the feet? There's, there's all this unpack, there's all this, this teaching that Jesus does in that intimate moment of that last supper, if you will, that Passover in the upper room. The Gospels give us different perspectives, but there is one thing in common in that moment in all four Gospels, the betrayal of Judas and the, the denial of Peter. And I find that intriguing that that is what the four Gospels would all collectively say, yeah, this is significant in that moment. Everything is significant that takes place, but all four witnesses, all four perspectives of that moment, this last moment that Jesus is with his disciples for an intentional time of teaching, this is it. They'll, they'll have Matthew 28, they'll have a few moments in the upper room, but before the cross, before what is about to happen, this is his last moment with them, and all four gospel records record that Judas is going to betray him, and Peter is going to deny him. Judas and Peter are members of the twelve. What was the intent of the 12? The intent of the 12, who were chosen from hundreds of followers, at a point in his ministry, he picks 12. What is the intent of the 12? The intent of the 12 is to become the leadership of the church. These are going to be the leaders of the first chapter of the church as it unfolds. And yet we have one that is going to betray him. We have one that is going to deny him. We have all but one that's going to run away and abandon him in his time of need. These are the leaders of the church. If we're looking at this 
from a leadership perspective, if this morning was a, a leadership conference, thank you for all coming this morning. I'm an expert in leadership. That's why you paid 350 bucks to be here this morning, and so I'm glad you're here. If we're, if we're looking at it from that angle, from a leadership perspective, this is a leadership fail. It's a leadership fail. Now, where we want to go, because we're humans and we recognize it's Jesus, but where we want to go is we want to go to the one training the leaders and say, Jesus, what were you thinking? What went wrong? You're about to go to the, the cross and, and the trial and the cross and, and all that's going to happen and you're going to be crucified and buried and you're going to raise, you're going to rise from the dead and you're going to conquer all of our enemies, and then, then you're going to leave. How many have seen my big fat Greek wedding? Is that the right? Why you want to leave me? You think maybe the disciples said that more than once? He's going to leave, and when you leave, you're entrusting the leadership of the church to these guys, to these leaders. Wow, Jesus, let's unpack this. Something went wrong somewhere. So thanks for coming to this conference this morning on leadership. We're going to unpack. No. But we are going to zoom in on a question that I think we can answer from this text, and it's this. Why does leadership fail? Now, we can, we can examine any point of history in history and find examples, but I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I feel that we were in a, in a season in our world, our particular moment, that just about everywhere we look, we can find examples of failed leadership on every level of society, every aspect of society. And if we're honest, and I hope we will be, we can take a look at the home, we can take a look at the family, and can we find examples of leadership failure there? Yeah, and I'll... I'll just raise my hand. If you looked and examined closely my leadership in my home, you could find examples of leadership failure. Why? We have, we have more resources now than we've ever had. We have more understanding of, of principles. Let's go back. What about these guys? They had the ultimate leadership conference, right? A three-year conference. And it was a, it was a you, you lived in the dorms, it was a, you know, you traveled for three years, you got to follow Jesus, hear him teach, watch him do what he did, and yet, we read in all four Gospels, this leadership fail. Why? Why does leadership fail? I want us to pick up where we left off last week in, in chapter 22, verse 21. Jesus just finishes this Passover meal, an amazing moment, an historic moment. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you studied it and you unpacked that. A, a, a historic moment in time. Everything had pointed to, to this moment where Jesus takes this, this, this Passover meal that has so much in it the history of God with, with this planet and his people, the Jewish people, and his plans for mankind. And it, and it gets moved to this moment where we will celebrate God coming to earth and dying in our place so that we can enjoy him through all eternity. 
I mean, this is the boat where I just want to go. If I was there, I was like, could we just have a, a, a pause, Jesus? This is historic. This is, I'm, I'm beginning to see what it all means. Wow. Oh, but boy, there's a heaviness, right? Because if I understand you right, Jesus, you're about to suffer some horrific physical and spiritual suffering. Wow. If I'm one of the disciples, I think we need to have a time of prayer, Jesus. Why are you laughing? You don't think I would do that? I know you, you yeah. The rumor that I wore eyeliner yesterday is, is, is just that. It's a rumor. So. Ah, we got pictures. But instead, Jesus says, look, the hand of the one betraying me, verse 21, is at the table with me. This historic moment, this, this powerful moment, this, this eternity dropped into moment for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. What we've been talking about, what I've been telling you for almost three years is, a now, is now about to happen. But woe to that man. This is God's plan, but the one who's going to do this is not relieved of his responsibility, the choice he makes. Woe to that man by whom he, Jesus, is betrayed. Oh, boy, it's gotten even heavier. And once again, I'm gonna say, Jesus, let's pray, because that's me. More laughter, okay. Let's, Let's pray, Jesus, let's pray. Is that what, any of these leaders of the church, is that their response? Look at what it says. They begin to argue among themselves. They begin to argue which of them it could be who was going to do this thing. Their response to this historic moment, the leaders of the church, future leaders of the church, begin to argue about who it is that Jesus is talking about. Or we could say what they're arguing about is who is the worst. That's what they're arguing about. Now, this is not new, right? If you've been following this year as we've gone through Luke or any of the Gospels, you realize this is not a new thing for them to argue at the most inopportune moment. It's revealing, though, about where they are. They begin to argue among themselves which of them it would be who's going to do these things. Here, here's my first principle thought that I believe answers the question, why does leadership fail? Leadership fails when leaders pursue their own agenda rather than God's mission. I want to zoom in on one person where this principle comes from, and you know who that is. It's Judas. We could spend a lot of time this morning, and we, I think we talked about it some. For me, this year blends together. Just, I need you to know that. To the point that I'm not even sure which messages I preached, or Matt preached, or Jeff preached, or one of our elders preached. They just kind of, did I say that? Maybe that was Jeff. Maybe, did you, did I, you know, it all just kind of bleeds together, this, this narrative of Jesus. So maybe it was last week, maybe it wasn't. But we talked a little bit about, we've talked about Judas and the journey that he's taken. He answers the call to follow Jesus. He's one of the 12. He's going to be one of the future leaders of the church. But it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And there's a breaking point when Mary puts the, the, the nard on his feet that Jesus is just not going to fulfill Judas' vision of the future. He's not the Messiah that I thought he was going to be. He's not going to accomplish my Judas agenda. You with me? 
Now, it's easy for us to look at, it's easy for me to look at Judas and kind of go, whoa, and not connect to him in any way. And I, I want to encourage us not to do that. In fact, let me, let me just throw these, these two thoughts out real quick. What God is not asking us to do this morning as we go through this is for you and I to identify, you and I to identify other leaders that fit these fails. Don't do that. Don't miss what God's saying to you and to me. By go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that. And you can go political, you can go corporate, business, you can go sports, you can go you know, media, you can go wherever you want to go and find people that f- fall under this. Don't, don't go there this morning. Number two, don't overlook your own leadership role. We really, really struggle with, with separating titles and, and, and responsibility with leadership. We, we just naturally go, well, he's, pre- he's the president, or he's the president of the company, or he's the manager, or she is the, 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 the store, whatever, shift manager, or whatever it might be. And with the title, then we see leader and me. I just need to show up and do my, you know, put my French fries in the cooker and then pour, because I worked at Burger King. So, you know, that's, that's, I'm not the boss. And we do it on every aspect of our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, in our parenting, in our grandparenting, in our friendships, in our relationships. Don't overlook your own leadership responsibility that God's given you, Okay. Two thoughts. Don't look at other leaders. Don't overlook yourself. It's easy for me to disconnect from Judas and go, ah, Judas. But here's the the truth. If we're honest with ourselves, we have a vision for the future. We have an agenda of how we want our life to go and how we, we may not say it out loud because, ooh, but in our hearts and our thoughts and our dreams and our desires, we have a picture of how we want God to play out the future. Don't we? And we have people in there that we are convinced he needs to take care of. There's other people in our lives that we, please, God, would you just draw them to yourself? Family members, would you please? And we, we have this picture of how we want God to unfold his good plans for us. It's Judas. When I'm in that moment and I'm telling God what the future should look like and what the plan should be for my life, for my kids, for my bank account, for my health, for my relationships, I'm Judas. These expectations that he had. And the reason leadership fails on any level is when that leader pursues their own agenda. Now, it's interesting and very, very, um, it's helpful for me in my own life to realize that Judas walks in, in tandem or in parallel with Jesus for a season. And his agenda and Jesus' agenda or Jesus' vision, his purpose and Judas's what he thought of Jesus, they, he, he makes them work together for a season. There had to be nights where he's like, ah, I don't know why, what, why, oh boy, I don't know if I, nah. but I'm, nope, 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 he's the Messiah, he's, he's, he's going to, he's going to, but there comes a point where he just, he realizes that they don't match, and Judas's failure as a leader, his failure as a disciple is he's committed to pursuing his own agenda rather than God's. And as God's mission, Jesus' mission becomes clearer and clearer and clearer to Judas. And that's, a, that's an important principle, don't miss that. It becomes clearer and clearer, because that's what God does, doesn't he? 
He makes his vision, his mission very clear. Judas realizes this is not going to work. It's not going to work. There's consequences to leadership fail. There's many, but I'm gonna, I want to touch on a couple, and I encourage you to maybe, in, on, if you're taking notes on your, your electronic device or on a piece of paper or at home, just write some of these down as we move through these. There's consequences to each of these reasons why leadership fails. For Judas, I'll just mention, there's a disconnect and then eventually a rejection of God's plan. Jesus, you got it wrong. This is not how you're going this is not how we're going to be set free as, as your people, the people of Israel. Unless you deal with Rome, I'm out. Can we find ourselves disconnected, disconnecting from God's plans? Yeah, we can. As his children, as his disciples, as leaders. And the ultimate consequence is you find yourself working against God. You find yourself working against God. Peter will give us a picture of that, of being in a boxing ring with Jesus. That's literally the, the picture he gives us when we put ourselves up against God. It's like putting on a pair of boxing gloves, and in the right corner, you know, the blue corner, Kurt Pearson, you know, 190-something, you know, we'll just leave it at that, roughly speaking, and, you know, and in this corner, and in the red corner, we have Almighty God. Look at the size of those boxing gloves. Touch gloves, let's fight. We find ourselves working, fighting against God. I want to make a suggestion under each of these points of how we can correct it. And again, there's many, and I pray that God will give you steps to take if you find yourself in any of these areas. I'll just give you one. Trust God's plan. And trust his timing. And trust his heart. That was, that was Judas's fail. He came to a point where he just, no, it's not, no, not going to happen the way I want it to. Well, Judas, I'm going to die. Now that makes no sense to me. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be crucified. Crucified? That's the Romans again. Jesus. I'm going to be crucified by the Romans. And I'm going to be buried. But I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to set you free. No, 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 no. That's, no, that. Really, how's that going to help? Trust God's plans, trust his timing, and trust his heart. So in, on the heel of this, they're arguing about who's going to betray them. Look at verse 24. Here's the second reason why leadership fails. A dispute also, a dispute also rose among them. Man, I, it's Jesus, so he can handle it. He did. But I find myself thinking... How easily it would have been to be, to be discouraged in this moment. We go from one argument. We just had pa we just had Passover. We just celebrated. Do this in remembrance of me, and this is my body, which is broken for you, and my blood, which is going to be poured out for you. We're about to go to the garden, and and, and you will you'll sleep, and I'll pray. But we're we're about to. Well, who's going to? Uh, I think it's you know, and they're arguing about who it's going to be, and then they move into this dispute. Well, now that we're talking about who it's going to be and we've, we've established it's not going to be me or you or we think it, who do you think is going to be the, the greatest? <laughs> now that we've figured out who the, the worst of us is, who do you think is the most important? Who do you think Jesus likes the most? Who's his favorite? You ever get that question as parents? 
No, I still do. My kids still do. A dispute arose among Kurt and Becky's kids as to who was the favorite. <laughs> it's funny, too. There's always two. There's always two that they all agree. One of, one of the two. One of the daughters and the son. We'll just leave it at that. Who should be considered the greatest? Who is Jesus going to look at as the most important, the leader of the leaders? Who, who are people going to write about? I'm still in my pharaoh mode. <laughs> who are people going to remember? But he, Jesus, is there. He's observing this. Duh, hello, they're in this upper room together. And he says, guys, guys, he does my Bible that says, guys, guys, guys. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them, those that they rule over. And those who have authority over others are called benefactors. Isn't that interesting? They call themselves benefactors. We do this for your good as they rule over the people that they rule over. But I got to tell you guys, leaders of the church, it must not be like that among you. Not so with you. I know that you've seen all this, you've grown up in this part of the world, you've experienced leadership in various ways, and you, you are aware of how your culture views leadership, but that's not how I view leadership in the church, in my people. On the contrary, whoever is greatest, you guys want to know who the greatest is? You're arguing about all this? I'll tell you who the greatest is. It's the one who must become like the youngest, and it's a word that describes the one who was recently born. He's saying, you need to become like the baby of the family. You know where my mind went to when I was studying this was David. Do you remember David? And Samuel comes to, to Jesse's house and says, okay, the next king of Israel is coming from your boys. Line them up. And the firstborn stand, and he goes, whoa, <laughs> he is tall. Our current king is tall. Okay, that, and he goes, he moves to anoint him and God says, stop. All right, and then he goes to the, and he goes through and God says, stop at every one and he's done with all the boys and Samuel's hearing from God, it's none of these and Samuel says, I'm confused, Jesse. I know God sent me to your family, but none of these, are, are there any more? And do you remember, remember the dad? Remember the parent of the year award he had just won? Do you remember he says, well, there's one more, but he's just the baby and he's out taking care of the sheep. Humanly speaking, he's insignificant. He does a job that we, nobody else wants to do. It's an important job, but, you know, I had this many boys, so I'd have somebody to do that job. And he's out in the field, and you know how it plays out, right? That's the picture here. Jesus says, you, you want to be great? Then you need to become the young one. You need to become the baby, the one that is willing to do what is asked of them. And you need to be, if you want to lead, look back to your Bible, if you want to lead, then you need to be the one serving. Serving. You just, you, I know how you think leadership works, but I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, for whoever is greater, the one who is greater, let me, let me help you understand this. You, you guys will understand this. He's talking to his disciples. The one at the table, who is greater? The one at the table or the one that is serving? For you and I, it's going out to a restaurant. Don't we go to the restaurant expecting to be 
serve. In fact, we call that, that role a server. And if that server doesn't arrive at the table within the first 30 seconds, you're doing this. Are you thinking tip already? Are you going to tip already? Okay. And if the, you know, if the, if the drink isn't filled up, if my Pepsi isn't, you know, and for, if there's not enough ice, and I could go on and on and on. And oh, they forgot that appetizer we, we ordered. That better be taken off my bill. That's all I can say. Right? We have this experience, this expectation. In that moment, who is most important? Well, of course I am. The one at the table and my, my queen. You know, Cleopatra or whatever. You know, Nefertiti. You know, you, my queen and I are most important. He says, it's same then. The one at the table or the one that's serving? Well, isn't it the one at the table? But let me, let me change your thinking. He says, I'm here among you as God. I am here among you as Messiah, as eternal God in human form, as one who serves. He says, I'm not seated at the table. I'm serving. Now, what had just happened? In John 13, they had just had their feet washed by him. Don't miss that. And yes, they're arguing about who's the greatest. I'm telling you, I'm here as one who serves. You are the ones who stood by me in my trials. You've been with me. You've gone through all the difficulties. And I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, but not now. Not in this life, right? This is yet to be for them, but not in this life. Why does leadership fail? Leadership fails when those in leadership reject the call to serve and to sacrifice. I'm telling you, we have got it just as upside down as those disciples did in that first century, almost 2,000 years ago, and God forgive us, that in his church today, we are still arguing among, our, among ourselves. We're still struggling with the picture of leadership in our minds and in our hearts. If we just simply, welcome to the conference. I'm glad you came to this conference this weekend. Thanks for paying the 350 bucks. That's going to feed me and my family. I appreciate that. Here's the conference. We are here among people in this planet as those who serve. Thank you for coming. Go and be fruitful as leaders. Is that legit? According to Jesus, it is. That what I, what I need to wrap my heart and my head around is that a leader, any role of leadership in any capacity is to serve other people, not myself. Leadership fail happens when I reject that definition of leadership. I'm the leader. I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'm the husband. I'm the father. I'm the boss, whatever, you fill in the blank that fits your life. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we allow the influence of the world around us that we live in to slowly creep in, we find ourselves rejecting the definition of leadership as a role to serve other people. Because there's perks and benefits that should come with a leadership position, amen? Sorry, I tricked you a little bit. 
I know, some of you feel bitter right now towards me. It's not, is it? It's not how Jesus defines it. Jesus defines it as a role of service. And leadership fails when a leader rejects the call to serve and to sacrifice. The consequence, one of the consequences is we have leaders, including ourselves often, that are consumed with their own leadership. I'll just say it that way. And everything that comes with it. We are consumed with leadership, those of us in leadership. We do pay 350 bucks to go to a conference, and we do buy books, and we do read, and we, we just, con- what does it look like to be a leader? And so much of it is focused on the impact that I can have as a leader, rather than the simple principle that Jesus says, to lead is to serve. It's to serve others. It's to lay down your life for the benefit of others. Let me just give you a verse, write it down. You, many of you know it, but Romans 12, 1 and 2 Write that down in your notes. What's the, what's the correction to this? It's what I've already said. Just lay down your life and follow Jesus. Easy to say, isn't it? Difficult to do. I don't, want, I don't want the takeaway this morning for anybody to be, wow, you know, I'm just a total failure as a leader on any level of my life. That's not the intent. In fact, it's the opposite, to encourage us to align ourselves with what Jesus says leadership is about in any, any way, any aspect that he's allowed us to lead. Because it is a privilege, but it's a privilege to serve other people. And if we've struggled, if we say, well, this is me, that fails me, that fail is me, that fail is me, this is, this is a watershed moment to say, okay, that's been me, that's not who it will be. Because all of these fails are negative, but it's very easy to flip them to positive, isn't it? Leadership fail is to reject the call to serve and to sacrifice. A leadership win is to answer the call to serve and sacrifice for others. So the correction is to lay down your life. Can I encourage us just to trust the goodness of God? Did you catch that in the text there? Jesus says, oh, there's rewards coming, guys. Oh, man, there's rewards coming. We're gonna have a feast, and you're gonna have a place of honor, because you have sacrificed, and you have left things behind, and you have followed me. You've struggled. You're arguing right now. I get it, but boy, I love you. I just want to give you grace, and I'm telling you, I got some good rewards for you, but in this life, I want you to sacrifice, and I want you to serve. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, he turns to Simon. All indications is that this is taking place. I mean, they might have broken up into some smaller subgroups, but this seems to be right there. Simon, Simon, Peter, Look out, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall or fail. And here's my word to you, Peter, when you have turned back, when you have turned back, great words to underline in your Bible, words of hope, when you have turned back, I want you to strengthen your brother's Interest then, this is, you could spend, we could spend a lot of time here, we can't because of time. But Jesus is, is clearly indicating, and I've looked at this from every angle, he's clearly saying that there was a moment in heaven, Peter, where Satan came before the throne of God and he asked if he could have you. I say, does that happen? Yes, read Job chapter one, one through six, and chapter two, one to three. Satan shows up and says, hey, and and him and God are talking, and they're talking about Job. And Job says, or Satan says, well, let me do this. And God says, okay. Remember that? 
And then he comes back, and he does it again. Jesus says, that moment happened for you, Peter. Satan has already got Judas. He's already got one of the 12. He's successfully won him over. We know how that plays out. <laughs> this is so good. I want Peter. I'm going after Peter. Pete, I mean, right, you guys? Let's have a vote. Who would you help? Who do you think I should go after? I, me too, I think so, right? I mean, he's always the one that, you know, is trying to do that, and he's always stepping up, and he's always like, man, he's just like a self-appointed leader. If I could get him? Jesus says, I want you to know, Peter, that Satan came to the Father and asked if he could sift you like wheat, if he could shake you out, separate the wheat from the chaff so that all that's left is the chaff. It's literally, it's he wants to test you because Satan's convinced that you'll fail. Can you imagine Jesus turning to you and saying that? But I've prayed for you. I've prayed that you will turn back and strengthen your brothers Notice Peter's response. Lord, I'm not sure I fully understand everything you just said to me that, wow, <laughs> wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> You're saying I'm being talked about in heaven? You're saying I'm, I'm the, wait, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I appreciate you praying for me, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> no matter what happens, no how ugly it gets, I'm ready to go. Peter, Peter. Let me, verily, verily, I say to you, for the King James people, remember? I'm telling you, I t I'm telling you the truth, Peter. The rooster is not going to crow today until you have denied three times that you even know me. You're not going to go to prison. You're not going to go to death for me. Peter, you're going to fail. Here's the third leadership fail. When leaders ignore their dependence on heaven, when we somehow convince ourselves that we got this, I'm going to use that. Since there's pictures, what do I got to lose, right? I'm going to wear eyeliner every day. <laughs> I got this. Take heed. You know what that means, take heed? Pay attention. Hey, 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 you all listening? Take heed. You think you're standing? Be careful. Because you can fall like others who have fall, fallen in these moments. Leadership fails when leaders ignore their dependence on heaven. Peter's got it. Now, he's going to learn, right? And I don't have time this morning. I intended to, and my time has gotten away from me. So let me just give you 1 Peter 5, and I encourage you to read through verses 1 through 7. This is the same Peter that we're reading about here, that he's got it all under control. We know what happens. And then in 1 Peter 5, he writes in retrospect, oh, how foolish I was. Oh, that was a leadership fail. Let me tell you, humility. Did he understand humility? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leadership fails when we ignore our dependence on heaven. Jesus tries to warn him. I find this so, not amusing, but kind of amusing. You know, the signs. I, I had it happen to me the other day. Uh, I think we were in a store. Yeah, Becky and I were in a store. It was in Ross, I think. And they got li a line for returns and a line for purchases. And there's, I see three or four people in the line, and so I just go get in line behind them. And, and this gentleman comes over and says, ah, you guys are all in the wrong line. 
I said, what? Oh, and, and then we go over and we all go in the other line. And he goes, yeah, there's a sign right there and a sign right there. And, we, you know, and he, I could tell he was like a little bit tired of having to tell people. And I turned and I said, oh, you expect us to see and read the signs. <laughs> and we laughed. But doesn't God put these signs right in front of us? Doesn't he give us these warnings and these clues and these billboards that say, you're going to do this on your own. You're gonna, here's what it's going to look like. He put it right in front of Peter and said, Peter, I'm telling you, here's exactly what's going to happen. And what is Peter's response to Jesus? I got it. He tells them in verse 35 as we close this last point. He says to them, do you remember when I sent you out without any money, no wallet? No traveling bag, no sandals, just what you had on your feet, clothes on your back. Did you lack anything? No, not a thing. Then he says to them, well, now, in this moment, if you have a money bag, if you have a purse, if you have a wallet and you have money in it, keep it with you. Take it. If you have a traveling bag, if you have a suitcase with extra clothes, take it. Whoever doesn't have a sword, you should sell one of your robes, sell one of your pieces of clothing and buy a sword, for I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. What is about to unfold, what I've told you, what we've talked about is about to happen. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, and he was counted among the outlaws. Yes, I'm telling you, leaders of my church, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Had he warned them before, had he told them, had he given them any clues about this moment before? Yes, over and over and over. Lord, this is their response. We have two swords, which is super funny to me. I don't, I, why? <laughs> and who? I mean, we know later Peter, Peter's going to use one, but I don't know if he carried or if he grabbed it from somebody else because he's Peter. But we have two swords. And Jesus says, that's enough. Enough of that. Literally, he's saying, that's all I'm going to say on the matter. We've talked enough about that. And then they leave for the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the last fail. And I want us, just real quick, not to miss this. Leadership fails when we miss what God is doing and why he's doing it. We miss what God is doing and why he is doing it. They had missed for three years so much of what, why he was there and what he was doing. And now as this moment approaches and it's all gonna unfold before them, he knows that they're still not getting. They're not getting the lesson when he sent them out with nothing. And they're not, getting, they're not gonna get the lesson when he tells them to have a sword, are they? They're not gonna get that either. They're gonna say, okay, he told us to have swords. What are we? They're, they're, they're not gonna, they don't get it. Again, the purpose of this morning, I hope, is for us not to judge them other than to judge them to learn for ourselves. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare to respond this morning. We're going to gather at the Lord's table, and if you have elements at home or present, I encourage you to get those and get those ready. And as we're doing that, stay with me just for a minute on this idea that we can miss what God is doing and why he's doing it. Let me, say, is, let me just ask, anybody in the last seven months, can you say that there any, are you willing to say at any time over the seven months, you missed what God was doing and why he was doing it? Yeah. How about the timing? 
We don't have time to get into the timing. But leadership fails when there's this disconnect from God in what he's doing and why he's doing it. What happens? What are the consequences? Well, we lead people in the wrong direction. You with me? I just my eyes landed on Marshall as a family who was moving to Tennessee. Marshall, there's a responsibility that goes with you. It doesn't matter if you're in California or Tennessee, and I know you know this, to lead your family in the right direction. Amen? If, if we disconnect, if we miss what God is doing, the big picture of why we're here and what he's actually doing right now and why he's doing it, we're going to lead people. You're going to lead your family, your wife and children. I'm going to lead my wife, my adult children, grand, grandchildren, whatever influence is there as a part of the leadership of this church, in this community. We will lead people in the wrong direction and we will find ourselves internally and externally questioning what God is doing, why he's doing it, and when he's going to do what we want him to do. Can we just be real about that? I'm just going to say it out loud. It's, it's live streamed to the world. As a follower of Jesus, it's possible for me. I know because I've done it. When I miss what God is doing and I miss why he's doing it, I can find myself internally questioning him and then it comes out in my words and in my actions that I'm actually challenging God that he knows what he's doing and he knows why to do what he's doing. I don't want us to forget that all this is taking place at that Passover meal that we looked at last week, we studied. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go back to that moment, to think in the context that we've just talked about. And you have elements, the bread and the, and the juice, the, this, whatever this is, the wafer. Some would say this piece of plastic. <laughs> Don't be distracted. I've already got, I've just said it, so we all are on the same page. This is not what's important, is it? Come on. This is not what's important. What's important is that we've been invited to a table as those disciples were, and we are the leaders of the church right here, right now in 2020. These 12, these 11 are with Jesus who is leading the church now? Who is responsible to lead the, the mission of engage, empower, equip, and encourage? Who is responsible to go and make disciples? We are. In the, in the, in the very same way that I have this cracker in my hand, God has placed in my hand, in your hand, the responsibility to lead for him right now. And so he asks us to come to the table and remember, remember that. I encourage you as we take the bread and drink the cup in just a minute, that you remember as a child of God that he's called you to lead. He's called you to lead here now today and do so in the way that he leads. That's part of the remembrance. 
You've got examples all over the, around you. Leaders. Jesus says, remember me. Remember my leadership. Remember what my leadership looked like and that it took me to the cross for you. This is my body which is broken for you, he said. And he says to us this morning, take, eat in remembrance of him. And at that meal, in the same way, he took that third cup. Thank you, Matt, making that clear. He took the third cup in that meal. And he said, this cup represents, this cup is my blood, which is shed for you. And I want you to drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. There is no clearer picture anywhere on earth or in heaven of what leadership looks like. It is a call to sacrifice. It is a call to lay down our life for others. Father, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being present in each one of us who have trusted in Christ so that we might lead in the place and the time that you've put us in your strength, in your power, not in our own, not in our own ability or capacity, but that we might lead as you led in our leading, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.